Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Tech Doctor podcast. I am Robert, one of the Tech Doctors, and today we are very excited to have a different Tech Doctor in the other chair. Allison will be gone for a few podcasts, and so Lisa Salinger and I are going to do a small series of podcasts on low-cost, refreshable Braille, which is a topic that I've been obsessed with for a few months now, and we're going to talk about three of the more popular low-cost Braille displays, especially because it so happens that we both own these three devices, and I just want to first say welcome back to the podcast, Lisa, and thank you so very much for taking some of your valuable time to do this. Welcome back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, it's nice to have you as always, and we've been hanging around this technology, you and I, for a long time. We've known each other for a long time, and so when we get a chance to work together, even in 2019, after all these years have gone by, it's still a lot of fun, so I'm glad you're here. Yeah, that's the fun part of reaching a certain point in your life where you keep hearing this phrase pop up all these years, and the mid-1990s, in some ways, seem like they were just yesterday, but I think that's when we had first worked together on a presentation at a national convention, and you and I and Erwin Hott did a oh, presentation yeah. yes, mm-hmm. on connecting the Blazy note takers to the internet yes. using a blazing fast 14.4 baud modem. Oh boy, so back in the a day. Lot has, a lot has changed and a lot has stayed the same. You know, I really do miss the connecting sounds of those modems though. I was fascinated when I found or came across a tweedle dump and you could connect it between the modem and your device and you could hear the data coming through and i suppose if you were a programmer or really technical type you could gain valuable information from that and especially at that point i was nothing but a novice but i just thought it sounded cool it did sound cool and the tweedle dump was was a great way to tell that you were still online that it was still working yeah i think that might have been a fred gassoni invention but that was that was back in the days when interesting things were happening and actually it wasn't too far after the days when the first electronic refreshable braille displays started coming along and you know it it's amazing to me i had one of the first uh braille displays that that i heard about which was called the original Versa Braille mm-hmm. from Telesensory Systems. And it was it was a remarkably similar technology, at least as far as the displaying of Braille is concerned, to what we have today, 40 years later. I think uh, I got the Versa Braille in late 1979, maybe early 1980. It was the first time that I'd ever had a chance to work with a braille display where you could actually insert and delete information because you sure couldn't do it very well on a a paper braille, hard copy braille. But this was a very novel idea that you could have these little pins 
that would pop up and display Braille on a, I think the Versa Braille maybe had a 20 cell display. I can't it remember. Did. Yeah. It was either 18 or 20. Yeah, 18 or 20. I think it was 20 though. Um, but it, it would uh, pop, have these little pins that popped up that would display the correct formation for the Braille dots. And then you press the button and the, all the pins would uh, retract and pop up and form a different configuration and to this day that's still how it works yes i think all that information was stored on a cassette i started using one of those in 1984 or 85 i mm-hmm. believe the information was stored on a cassette we didn't have any other way of loading data into the unit and if i'm not mistaken it's been a long time ago but i'm pretty sure the the versa braille the original one had 1K or 1,024 bytes of memory. And they call that amount a a page, a Braille page. And that's how much you could load in at a time before you had to go have it go back to the cassette and load the next page in. Right. And they were large, too. It was I think they weighed roughly about 20 pounds. I remember carrying one of those up to a fourth floor class and Mm. it was at the time it was really worth it because I could easily and quickly take notes. I wasn't trying to keep up with a slate and stylus. I had gotten relatively fast, but not fast enough for some settings. Yeah. Well, they were large, but they were lighter than carrying a Perkins Brailler around, which is what I did throughout elementary, junior high, and high school? I did a little bit, but I got really adept pretty quickly at using the slate and stylus mm. because I was very self-conscious of the noise yeah. that Perkins Brailler made. And when I was no longer forced to carry one when I was in college, I didn't. If my Braille display was not working, I just took a slate and stylus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think you were very wise and uh, to do that and perhaps more ambitious than I was because I got to be okay with the slate and stylus, but I was never nearly as fast at it as, as I think you are. It's amazing to me, honestly, you know, when I think back on it, that the other kids, I went to public school, that the other kids and the other kids' parents tolerated the noise that the Perkins brother made. I don't think kids would tolerate that today. I remember somebody asking a kid in my class if the Perkins brailler noise bothered them. And they said, well, at first, but then, then you just get used to it as Mm -hmm. being a regular classroom sound, but you certainly couldn't use it. For example, in a library, you'd get thrown out of there pretty quickly. Yeah. One of the concerns with some of these low cost displays is the amount of noise that they make and it really is a choice for the individual as to what level of noise they feel is tolerable or acceptable. The noise that they make seems to be, as you're saying, kind of disturbing for some people and other people just don't really notice it much at all. That's the experience I've had so far. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I guess people are just have different sensitivity to, to a little bit of noise. But we'll, we'll certainly be talking about the noise that, that, that they make. Because one thing that was true about the 
original Braille displays, they used a type of technology called piezoelectric technology that it enabled them to be very quiet. Like the 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 even the the original Versa Braille, the display itself really didn't make any noise, at least as as I recall. No. Mm-mm. And so this technology, you know, that was used literally up until two or three years ago when a couple different companies designed new techniques for displaying Braille on these displays. This the same technology was literally used all those years. And the problem with it has always been that these displays have been very expensive to manufacture. And so that cost, of course, gets passed on to the user. And so Braille displays have been forever really outrageously expensive for most people. Yes, generally, uh, ballpark figures, you're talking two, $3,000 for a display with 18 to 20 cells and nearly twice that for a display with 40. Mm-hmm. Is that about your experience with things? It seems like forever it's been somewhere between five and eight thousand dollars, depending on how much other stuff the, the display is capable of and various things. But it's been around that price for about a 40 cell display for a long time. So obviously, inflation has changed. The dollars are you know, different of different value. So a $5,000 display in 1980 um, is different in some ways than a $5,000 display today, but it's still, you got to come up with the, with the $5,000. Braille has gone through some tough times anyway, where a lot of people began to talk about audio taking the place of Braille and it hasn't been taught as much to children as it used to be. And, and the high cost of electronic Braille has not helped that in my opinion. Right. It's almost like Braille was this boutique, specialized sort of item because of its cost. And these lower cost Braille displays are bringing refreshable Braille to more people. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about what we mean when we talk about lower cost. And so it's kind of kind of dramatic really that we begin to see a, a couple of 20 cell uh, braille displays come on the market that instead of costing five thousand dollars they cost around five hundred dollars that's pretty amazing actually that we'd suddenly see the prices drop tenfold like that yes we did see some and we'll talk about this a little bit some displays with fewer than 20 cells, um, you know, 8, 12, 14, in the $900 range as well. And even that is lower cost than what we had in the past. Absolutely. But the thing about those was I think the way they achieved that lower cost was by giving you fewer Braille cells. They were still using the, the, the more expensive uh, Piazzo technology. Right, but yet if you think about $900 for 14 cells, 
you would still only have $1,800 for like 28 cells. So, you know, if you did the math that way, and it's possible that they felt the pressure from these upcoming lower cost braille displays. That's kind of my point of curiosity. I do wonder if the lower cost displays will help to bring down the price of some of these higher priced displays. The price has come down, though, to some degree, because I know that, that Hims is now selling a 40-cell um, display they call the Cube Rail. I have one of those. And I, I'm pretty sure they're selling it for, for right around $3,000. So you, you got 40 cells for 3000 as opposed to the more expensive prices we, t- we were talking about earlier. Yes, and also you have to be careful that you're comparing apples to apples and not yeah. to oranges because there are two different things out there basically you have braille displays and that simply is a display and then you have note takers and generally displays can have some note taking functionality Mm -hmm. but normally when we talk about a note taker we it's not exactly correct but it's come to mean a braille display with speech as well. So, you know, your um, your hymns products, your humanware products that have a braille display and that also have speech, those are going to be priced higher. And they also tend to do more things and be more self-contained units. So you can use those to get on the internet and send and receive email. Whereas a braille display itself is more of an accessory, albeit a fancy and sometimes high priced accessory. It's often an accessory to your iPhone, your iPad, your Android tablet, your PC, your Mac. So there are different things that, need to be compared as well. So you can't automatically say, well, or at least I think you shouldn't automatically say, all right, this display is $2,000 and this display is $4,000. So this $2,000 display is the one for me. Now it very well may be, but it might be that it would not meet your needs. And of course you have the financial aspects of things, but If the more expensive one would most adequately meet your needs, then what you would need to do is explore alternate funding and things of that nature. Exactly. And also, your point is a good one about trying to figure out what you really need, because I would be curious to hear your take on it. But in my experience, the use of a what we will call a note taker which is one of these more expensive devices that not only displays braille but also has the features you're talking about like connection to the internet probably an email client probably the ability to do pretty sophisticated word processing probably a pretty good media player things like that those devices of course they are more expensive but they are for the most part at least in my experience quicker and easier and less cumbersome to use than using a 
Braille display with your iPhone or Android phone. Don't get me wrong. The Braille displays are very usable with, with, the, with the phones or the tablets or the computer, but it's a different experience. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, no, and maybe. Um, okay. It is different with the, you know, com- connecting to another device. But some of these, they've really improved the process. And when I connected the one to my iPhone, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Not so much that it was connected to the iPhone, because I've done that for a couple years. Mm-hmm. But it connected so quick, and it was so great. I'm like, I wanted to disconnect so I could reconnect, so I could do it again. I'm like, I got to watch that. That's slick. It really does just work. There's also the whole thing of, yes, you can connect these to your iPhone, but you can also just use them to take notes. I've had people who, it really blows my mind. I sometimes will take a customer order. I'll get information from people. And I hear the Braille and speak voice. And Uh it just takes me back. And Mm -hmm. so people are saying, you know, I can read Braille, so that's fine. I know it's Braille, not speech. I want something that's like the Braille and speak. I don't want something to connect to the Internet. Well, some of these low-cost Braille displays will do that, and they'll do it quite nicely. And you may have to connect them to the Internet to update them or to back up your information, but it's something that you could get help from a family member or a friend and do once or twice a year, but pretty much you could keep them, quote, off the grid. So it's really kind of nice because I think they're in one unit, there can be as little or as much complexity as you want to be involved. Okay, well, let me see if I got what you're saying because it seems like you're kind of you're talking about a couple different interesting things here. Yeah. So first of all, um, I think what you're talking about about the really quick and reliable connectivity is that these devices connect to our phones and our tablets and our computers. One way, at least, is through Bluetooth. Right. And Bluetooth is a wireless connection that has really improved quite a lot over the years. It's a short-range connection, but the, the, the manufacturers have done a nice job, even with these low-cost devices, of making them work well with a Bluetooth connection with your phone. The pairing, we call it, is is more straightforward, quicker and simpler than it used to be. And typically the pairing is only done once. And once that device is uh, con- has the security rights to connect to your phone, these days it's it's usually simply a matter of, of turning it on or flipping a switch on some of them on the back or doing something very simple to to make that connection happen. And even one of the devices... Uh, it tries to be smart about it and connects any time it, it sees uh, it, it, that it's in that mode. So it is interesting, like that 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 they are easier to connect. But the other piece that you're talking about is that even the low cost devices have the rudimentary editing capability of taking notes. And so you can either take notes 
with all of them in a standalone mode, or you can take notes via the, the note pad or the notes app on your phone with them connected that way, right? I mean, right, s- right. S- I guess my point was that some people, when they hear you can connect them to an iPhone or a computer or whatever, they automatically sort of turn off and tune out because they're like, that's not what I want. Yeah. But the, the point I think I'm trying to make, and maybe not so elegantly, is that you have options. And so I don't know where we got this idea that we have to use all of everything, but I've seen a lot of people and it makes me sad. They get really defensive. They say, you know, I just want to do this. And the nice thing with these displays, as with their larger counterparts, is that you really do have all those options still available to you. You just may have to mix and match a little differently to Mm -hmm. get where you want to go. Right, right. So, you know, one of the things that, that I really love about a full blown note taking device, which is not going to be one of these low cost devices is that I can do, I can have the best of both worlds. I can go into a meeting, take notes in a pretty sophisticated word processor that will support word documents and that will allow me to do some bolding and formatting if I want to and and then send those notes to a colleague who can read them in word format or I can at the same time that I'm taking notes I can have the note taker connected to my iPhone in terminal mode and I can easily switch between terminal mode so that I can check a notification that came in or check an email that came in on my phone or even check or write a text message if I need to. Not that I would ever do that during the middle of an important meeting, but theoretically it could be done, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. um, and uh, you you could even check Twitter, you know, or Facebook if you wanted to to do something like that in Braille. Um, I have a, a funny side theory. I will try not to derail us too long on this, but I think that because of the lack of information that comes in through our eyes, that blind people are more apt to multitask in order just to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I found, especially when I worked for the state. If I had to just sit there and somebody asked me to summarize the meeting, I had great difficulty. But if I could do a little bit of multitasking, it was like all circuits were engaged and I could do a better job of uh, summarizing everything that was covered. Yeah, that's been my experience as well, that it does help me to stay more present, ironically, if I'm doing a bit of multitasking. I, I agree with that. It, it it keeps me engaged in some way, which I, I doubt people who aren't blind and haven't experienced it probably don't really understand that very well. Yeah, but they say that 85% of the information that we take in is through our eyes. So that leaves us with a lot of idle headspace sometimes, I think. Great point. When you have some capability of taking notes, either in standalone mode or via the phone and you have the same basic capabilities with these low-cost devices of doing 
all of the interactivity that we were just talking about using a connection to the phone or a tablet, you, you, you don't in some ways give up all that much, in my opinion, and you save a lot of money. I agree. Again, it really matters what you're doing, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I work from home primarily. I don't have as much of a need as I used to to have notes and things that I needed to share with others. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter to me whether it's in text or RTF or whatever. Mm-hmm. I can just make those notes. Sometimes sound is a big issue because if I'm reading notes and I'm trying to record audio, it's a big issue. Sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm just referring to notes, it's not. But it would have been when I was working as a rehab teacher and maybe doing a client evaluation. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of back to this thing where, because I've done, as you know, comparisons of these low-cost Braille displays, primarily for Mystic Access. And people come up to me and they'll say, you know, it's very secretive. It's kind of amusing because it's predictable. And it's kind of like, psst, hey, you know, we're friends. So tell me on the QT, which one of these do you recommend? Mm-hmm. Which one is your favorite? And I want to pull a buzzer out of my pocket and buzz it and say, wrong answer, because <laughs> what may be my favorite today might not be my favorite tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and aren't we fortunate to have that option? I mean, just the wealth of Braille, if I just sit here and think about it, it just I'm in, completely in awe. But also, the, the device that will work best for me might not work best for you. And the device that worked best for me 10-ish years ago when I worked for the state isn't the device that works best for me now. Yeah. It is interesting that the the low-cost devices that we're going to be going into much more detail about each one in future podcasts, but the low-cost devices are similar enough that and different enough from one another that it makes it a bit hard to, I think, figure out for people which one will best meet your needs. It's almost like, in some ways, if you have, and most people don't, I get it, but if you had two or three of them, you could mix and match as needed and get a lot of your needs met but it may be a bit challenging to figure out the one. Yeah, and nothing beats hands-on. What I have tried to do when I'm getting any piece of technology is I try to make a wish list for myself first. Before I touch, before I see anything, you know, what, what do I need? What do I want? Do I require, you know, am I a programmer? Do I require 8-dot Braille? Would I rather have cursor routing keys or sensors? Do I need connectivity to the internet? Do I need connectivity to the phone? Now, as you explore these displays, you might find that there are really neat features that you didn't know you needed or wanted. But making a list for yourself really helps you get some clarity. It also helps you avoid being taken in by a really excellent salesperson right because they're they're good at and they should be they're good at selling their products 
and convincing you that theirs is the one. Mm-hmm. And people have done this. They'll go to one vendor and they'll be, okay, that's the one I'm going to get. But I already promised this one I would check out theirs. And then they go to that one and they say, that's the one I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. So having that list will help. And Otherwise, it's like a big emotional roller coaster. It is. And people get really anxious. And, you know, in a sense, they should, in a healthy sense, they should. They should deliberate. They should consider it a process. But people get really paralyzed. They say, I don't know what to get. And the reason I think they don't know what to get is because they don't know what they want. Well, and your point is a good one, but a complex one in the sense that it's hard, I think, for people to actually figure out what they want. They People right. need to have a hands-on experience yes. to decide, do I really think cursor routing keys is that important to me? Do I really think that eight dot versus six dot is really important to me? Like sitting at home and hearing a little bit about eight dot, a little bit about cursor routing, you might not actually be able to know for sure how important that is to you. Exactly. And hands-on is so important. And there are several ways to do that. You can go to a national convention or even a state convention, although they may not have as many of these items. You can also talk to and check with other blind friends that you have. Mm-hmm. And check out their units or ask them what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, There are blind associations and folk rehab agencies that have these. The other thing is that some states have lending libraries of mm-hmm. technology and you yeah. can apply and you can borrow one of these mm-hmm. for one to three months and then maybe borrow a different one. Mm-hmm. People a- also seem to think they need to decide right away. And sometimes you do, if you're going to college in the fall, right. you might need to decide right away. But many of us have the option to just step back and take a deep breath and be very thorough, be very systematic about the process. You're very wise to start this process of figuring this out well in advance when you're actually going to need the device. You can't do a last-minute sweep and be very accurate necessarily in picking what's really going to be the right one. It's too... It's too confusing. There, there, there are too many options for that to necessarily work that well. But I do want to mention also the other possibility for those of us who maybe live in states that don't have the lending library, or if we can't get to a convention, the the tutorials that you have produced for Mystic Access also are a way for people to come to understand a lot of the nuances about these various devices. Yes. And basically the devices that we're going to be talking about are the Braille Me and the Orbit Reader and the Brilliant BI-14. Mm-hmm. Stick Access has produced tutorials on all three of those. Humanware sponsored the tutorial on the Brilliant BI-14, so there is no cost to you in getting that. You can download that from mysticaccess.com, from our free downloads page. Another place you can find it, I find that many people own 
multiple humanware products is if you go onto the Victor Reader stream or the Trek and you go into humanware uh, podcasts, I think it's called like Victor Reader stream updates or something. Mm -hmm. It's in there. When you get a brilliant BI 14, it's also on the disc. But the other two tutorials on the Braille Me and the Orbit Reader are paid tutorials, and each one costs twenty four ninety seven, so roughly twenty five dollars. And you can download them, or you can pay a little extra and get them on an SD card. And people have asked, and rightly so, why should I spend money on a tutorial that I may never use. And the reason is because it will give you a walkthrough of the device and how it works and at least one person's perspective on it. You can, of course, also download the manuals. I'm a big manual reader. And pretty much before I purchase almost anything, I read the manual. But not everybody likes manuals and manuals can be a little more clinical, but that is also another way if you don't want to spend the money for the tutorial. But let's say that you buy both tutorials. That's $50. So basically you're spending $50 to help ensure that you get the display that is going to best meet your needs. Yeah. And the $50 is a whole lot less expensive than going to a convention. I still argue that it's, it's, Number one best way is to actually get your hands on them. But the tutorials are a, a really good second best because you, even if you don't touch them, you, you really give people a very good idea of what it's like to touch them. And that's about the second best. That's, that's about as good as you can get without actually having the device in your hands, I think. I try to. One of the things that I have learned from working with Mystic Access, we kind of tease one of my coworkers, Kim, um, always starts the tutorial by talking about the box and the packaging. Uh -huh. And we had an item the other day that we had gotten that we were evaluating and we decided that it was not something we were going to carry. And the line about it was, but it has a very nice box. Uh -huh. So we try to tell you everything about the how something feels. I mm -hmm. mean, just our impressions. For example, when I got the Orbit Reader, when I first held it, I said to someone, oh, my gosh, it feels like a Fisher-Price toy. Mm. Now, I did not – someone was a little offended at that, and I didn't mean it as offense. Like, mm -hmm. it's cute, it's basic, it's sturdy. Mm -hmm. And as someone said to me, well, everybody knows that Fisher-Price makes the coolest toys. But it had these round edges. You know, I could see it in these – bright primary colors with a sign on it. My first Braille display, you know, mm -hmm. but it really, it's, it does not look childlike. Just the feel of it was all nice rounded edges and sturdy. Some Braille displays, I don't know. I'm almost afraid to hold them uh -huh. a little bit like, ah, oh, I don't want to drop it. Mm -hmm. And then when I held it, it's kind of chunky. It's bigger, bigger than some of them, but I just was like, oh, this is okay. You know, so we try to give those impressions, those sort of yeah, intangibles. Absolutely. The vendors are doing their best to sell you their product. And they're looking to try to figure out an angle 
that will entice you toward their product more than the other person's product. And, and of course, that's how capitalism works. Like that's how sales works. And that's, and it isn't limited to Braille displays, but, but the point is it's, it's so easy, I think, for people to get caught up in information, marketing information, and not really quite know how to evaluate just how important is that piece of information. For example, when I was talking to National Braille Press about uh, purchasing a Braille Me, one of the big uh, selling points that they tried to emphasize with me was that the Braille Me, they said, is a is a much better low-cost option than the Orbit Reader because the display changes the entire display all at once, as opposed to the Orbit Reader, which starts refreshing the display from the left side and, and gradually refreshes across the display until the whole thing has been refreshed. But that doesn't make a huge amount of difference, honestly, for me most of the time because the Orbit Reader refreshes fast enough that by the time you have your fingers down toward the right end of the display, it's already refreshed. So to make that a major distinction or a major selling point, I guess for some people it might be really important, but for me that that doesn't that's kind of uh, um, splitting hairs a little bit because it doesn't make a huge difference actually in, in my ability to successfully use the device. Do you have thoughts about right. things like that? Right. Yeah, I had to have my Braille reading speed timed for a course I was taking. And I read Braille at about 336 words a minute, which wow. is relatively fast. Mm-hmm. And I don't get ahead of the Orbit Reader display. Mm-hmm. I remember years back at a convention, I was looking at getting a different note taker and this one company talked a lot about their display being ergonomic. Well, I was really struggling at the time with carpal tunnel Mm -hmm. and I have small hands and I thought, oh, this is great. I've really got to go and check this out. And it wasn't even on. I just wanted to get a feel for it. And I typed for about two minutes on this ergonomic display. Mm -hmm. And I later found that ergonomic is up to the individual. There Mm. is not a specific ergonomic standard. Well, this ergonomic design (laughs) and my own feelings of ergonomics really did not match. And Mm -hmm. I found it painful to type. It kind of was for someone with larger hands. It kind of pointed my two index fingers toward each other so that my wrists stuck out and they hurt. Mm-hmm. It's just not a good fit for me. Now, other people bought that note taker because of that feature and they yeah. loved it. Yeah, and it, it, is, it is true that these uh, two low-cost displays that we're going to be really talking about in more detail, they are rather different ergonomically. Like, uh, one display has the the Braille in the very front of the display, which is what we're used to, but the other one has the display behind the keyboard, and that can make a difference, I'm confident, for some people. And so it's going to be interesting to to try to compare and contrast all that a little bit. Given that, what you're saying, the most important piece, again, is that you need to touch this thing. You need to listen to the tutorial, you need to get a really good idea 
of what this particular device is going to be like for you in particular, because no one else can decide that for you. And that's the case whether you are purchasing a low-cost Braille display or a top-of-the-line 80-cell Braille display. That's right. I want to kind of begin to bring this particular podcast to a close by talking just a little bit about something that's been interesting to me that, that I think maybe people don't think too much about. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been very frustrated by and disappointed in the overall, seems like has been the decline of the use of Braille. And there have been things that have happened in recent years to try to bring it back more and make it more popular. And I'm really glad to see things like Unified English Braille come along and, and some changes that, are, that have been made, obviously, to the cost of Braille is, is, is really, really great. But, you know, I had kind of forgotten in some ways just how enjoyable and how much thorough, more thorough it can be to read a book in Braille as opposed to listening to it at really high speed, which I tend to do in audio. And I've just enjoyed so much the opportunity to read some both fiction, nonfiction, several different kinds of genres on these Braille displays. I mainly did it because I wanted to get a lot of experience with the displays themselves. And so I thought, well, a great way to do that is to read a book. And so just the realization that Braille is so unique in what it has to offer. Yeah, I am not particularly a very Zen kind of person. I wish I were more, I think. But the idea of sitting down and reading a thriller or something on a Braille display, uh, that just makes me twitchy. I'm like, okay, <laughs> hurry up. I want to know who did it. I want them to catch the bad guy. Mm-hmm. However, having said that, if I'm really having trouble understanding a concept, I don't want to hear it in audio. I want to see it under my fingers. If I'm reading a quote, self-help or inspirational book, and there are concepts that I really want to integrate, sometimes I will read the whole book in audio, and I'll Mm -hmm. go back through in Braille and read it. I know this is sort of a niche thing, but one place where I really enjoy having Braille is church, because I can access the books of the Bible and the references that are being talked about, and I don't have all of them. I'd love to find a copy, although more churches aren't using straight hymnals anymore, but I have a couple hymnals on my device, and I can sing all the words instead of, well, I know the first verse, and I know the last verse, and I know three lines of the second Mm -hmm. verse. And so having access to that I don't know. It just makes me feel so grateful to be alive at the time that I am. Yes. Yeah, it's a really great point. I think for me, the, the real the, the beauty of Braille access is in, in, in my work as a psychologist, in the meetings that I have to attend and the ability to sit there and read a, a handout that a colleague has sent me ahead of time as a Word document on my Braille display as people are going over the handout is just invaluable. And 
it, it allows me to fully participate and in a way that trying to access the handout with speech would not just as it would be difficult to access a hymnal with speech while you're sitting in church trying to sing along um so so there are some huge things to think about when it comes to braille and i'm hoping that us exposing this information about the low cost braille displays even though we're going to be talking about their pros and cons and it is so great to me to see these options become available i love this idea that people who have not been able to afford refreshable braille now potentially can and and i just want to do what we can to help people understand that these things do work they are viable and if you want to really expand beyond the use of audio and you either can start learning Braille or already know Braille, maybe can refresh your skills with one of these displays, it, it really can enhance, in my opinion, the ability to access information quite a bit. Definitely. And I'm seeing some voc rehab agencies who are considering the purchase of these low-cost Braille displays for new Braille readers because, A, it gives them access to more information. B, it's cheaper than a Perkins Braille writer, although you still sometimes need ways to make labels and attach notes. That's kind of a whole different set of issues. Mm -hmm. But also, I can see where it would benefit new braille learners not that you would want to stay there but you're starting by learning to track only one line of braille yeah yeah exactly we were joking the other day um in a mystic access meeting we were talking about braille displays and i said i i think it would probably be beyond what they can do but um it would be great if they could include educational software that would teach braille and i said but then that doesn't stop that doesn't help when you don't have the person standing over your shoulder saying, don't scrub. And someone said, well, you could just have the display zap your fingers if you start scrubbing up and down <laughs> on those dots that have moved across like you're supposed to. That is funny. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, lots of lots of different things to consider, I think, mm-hmm. and lots, lots of exciting opportunities. I mean, really, we're, we're kind of only limited here by our creativity. Mm-hmm. That is very exciting. I think we've kind of done what I was hoping we would do is sort of introduce this idea of low-cost Braille, talk about kind of why we are excited about it. And the next podcast, we're going to dig more into one of these two devices. We'll have to figure out which one we're going to take on first. And actually, we'll probably end up doing a little podcast on all three of the devices that we have so people can get a bit more of an idea not like a tutorial but more like let's talk about what what our experiences have been with them what they're like for us to use what we like about them what we don't like so much about them what we think that they where they think that we think they really shine of course we're going to talk about the the noise issues are they appropriate for classrooms and other places we we, we can debate that 
a bit, you know, if you buy one of these, are you going to discover that it's great for using around the house, but it's not something I'd want to to take to church with me um, for for one reason or another. I think these are just important issues that we want to delve into a bit. But let's go ahead and bring this particular discussion to a close, and we'll come back and uh, talk more detail next time. But it's possible that that someone listening to this first iteration of a low cost braille might want to ask a question or something and if you would like to get in touch with me these days I'm not very active on social media anymore I've kind of kind of stepped back from a lot of that so probably the best way right now to reach me if you want to ask a question is to send me an email and the address that I'm most using these days is nc5r that's november Charlie 5 Romeo at iCloud.com. And Lisa, do you have a, a way that you would like to give out if people want to get in touch with you on, on this topic, or how would you like to handle that? Sure. I'm going to give my work email address. That way, if you have questions about the tutorials specifically, it's already in the right mailbox. Also, it's an easy email address to remember. It is Lisa, L-I-S-A, at Mystic Access, and that's all one word, M-Y-S-T-I-C-A-C-C-E-S-S dot com. Excellent. All right, you all, thank you so much for listening to this one, and we will be back pretty soon with a couple more of these podcasts on the various low-cost Braille devices. So... So long for now, and we will be back. Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone. Channeling Allison. (laughs) Yeah.